Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yo, what's up? Welcome to Kind of Funny Games Daily for Friday, February 11th, 2022. I'm on your host, Blessing, Addy O.A. Jr. Joining me is XSets, Aaron A. Simon. Hello, everyone. Blessing, I'm super excited to be in content with you. It's been like, we always talk about like just gaming news and everything behind the scenes, but to be able to do it on this program, like I'm really excited for it. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you here. Of course, Aaron, I'm a fan of you from like Aww. when you're when you've made van, uh, van appearances and many other appearances. I met you for the first time when I went to LA for the Game Awards. We hung yes. out for a little bit there, and you are a wonderful human being. I absolutely Aww. love your work. Absolutely love what you do, uh, and I absolutely love like how I, I love how like how much of a self starter you are when it comes to I'm going to create my own brand. I'm going to create Xset, and I'm going to make it the dopest thing ever. Uh, can you tell us for our audience who might not know you, who are you? What is Xset? What do you do? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everyone. So nice to meet you all. My name is Aaron Ashley Simon, and uh, I'm mostly a broadcaster in the gaming entertainment space. And uh, I'm a co-owner of a new esports organization called XSET that's been around for about a year and some change. Um, so I literally like am across the board in gaming and entertainment and, and all the above. So um, and there's actually a lot more that I like. I mean, you do a lot of doing too. It's a lot actually. One of the coolest things I've seen you do is host with T Pain. Oh my gosh! That? Yeah, yeah. What, what was that? Like, what were you doing with T Pain? So the sh the show that we did with T Pain was the kind of like the first launching point for Bleacher Report and Turner for their gaming programs on TV, and it was like a big kind of like gaming giveaway slash. We played video games, we streamed, we talked about games. Um, and it was awesome. I've worked with T Pain before, but to work in studio with him, it was really fun. Um, and it's nice because like the work that I do, I'm able to bridge the gap between like gamers and and athletes and artists and show that like gamers everyone's a gamer in some shape or form so it was fun he's he's hilarious oh yeah dude i was watching t-pain is great because i was watching a, a tiktok uh the other day i feel like every reference i make now is to a tiktok that i'm watching but i was watching a tiktok with t-pain where he was talking about how he was out at like the grocery store and uh doing his groceries just hanging out or whatever and he sees somebody at the grocery store like their phone flash goes off and t-pain tells the guy he's like dude, if you want a picture, you can just take a picture of me. Like, you don't have to, like, just sneak a picture or whatever. And the dude's like, no, that's my ringtone. Like, my, when my phone rings, when I get a notification, it just flashes. And T-Pain's like, oh, my bad, bro. Like, I, the guy didn't know who T-Pain was. He was just there at the grocery store, and T-Pain starts going off on him. Uh, so shout out to T-Pain. Seems like a very hilarious dude. Also, shout out to the story that you told where uh, it was the whole Usher thing, where he was like, Usher, Usher totally broke my heart as an artist. And I was like, dude, what the fuck? That's crazy. How dare you, Usher? How dare you go off on the king that is T-Pain? Uh, Aaron, you yeah. when I when I hit you up to be on this show, you mentioned that like, you know, you talk about video game news. I've seen you talk about video game news on Venn and other outlets. You mentioned though that you talk about video game news usually from like a different kind of perspective. Yeah. Can you tell me about that a little bit? Because I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I think that like the way that I kind of talk about video games is not only from the standpoint of like gameplay and mechanics, um, but also just like 
the cultural aspect of it. Um, because there's even some games that may not people may not view as being the popular games, but there are some games that I feel like have made such a big cultural impact. And there's some that have both in some sense, not only from how they've changed or, you know, really brought value into specific genres that uh, are across the gaming space, or even like certain games like NBA Street Volume 2, which honestly is one of the best basketball video games. I know there's some 100%. people that say NBA Jam, but no, I think NBA Street Volume 2 because 100%. it brought the streets of New York, it, it brought, you know, street basketball, it brought uh, Bobito and like just the culture of New York Cucumber City. Slice. Yeah, it brought into like the suburban households and stuff like that. So there's a lot of like, I like to talk about it from that perspective. Um, in addition to obviously like, you know, if the game's good or not, gameplay mechanics and all that stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. If uh, if somebody wanted to check out your work, what is yeah. the one or two pieces of content that you've made or been on that they should check out? Ooh, oh gosh. Um, okay, so this is like, okay, this is like one of the funniest interviews that I've ever done. It was with Snoop Dogg. Um, actually covered Snoop Dogg's gaming tournament that he does with his friends at his compound. And uh, <laughs> that was like the height of like how professional and really good I am because I got secondhand smoke high being in that room with him and all his friends. It was a whole other level. And it was just really cool because you see him in obviously a funny and, and, and intense life, but you also see him really go in about his passion of gaming. I mean, he talked about um, fear and respect. And it was around the time that John Singleton, you know, RIP, phenomenal director, uh, it was around the time that he passed and like he was just saying how like fear and respect was he he believed it was going to be a very, very good game. And just to see him heavily talk about it was amazing. Um, and so I feel like that's a good kind of content piece to see like the interactions and the conversations I have with entertainers who are gamers. Um, and then for in terms of other work. I mean, I'm kind of all over the place in terms of digital and TV and OTT. So like you could probably find a lot of my work on social media on Twitter. Um, at Aaron A. Simon. So that's probably the best place to, to find me because I, I also like to dive into like traditional sports and music because I worked in those industries too. So that kind of goes back to what I was mentioning to you about how like I like to bring like culture and pop culture into the conversation of gaming because I've worked in all these different industries and they're all my passion points. I try to find that intersection for all of them. Hell yeah. That's absolutely amazing. Of course, if you're watching, listening to this, go check out Aaron A. Simon on Twitter and go check out Aaron's work. I guess one more question for you, right? Yes. To, to help the viewer get to know you. Favorite game of all time? Okay. Ooh, that's hard. Uh, well, obviously, you know, the fact that I brought up NBA Street Volume 2, that was one of my favorite. I have to say, really I have to say, okay, so the reason why this is one of my favorite games of all time is also because it has such a, a special connection to it with my brother, uh, my older brother, Ian. He is the one who got me into gaming. Uh, Metal Gear Solid. I freaking love that game and the way that even though there were stealth genre based games before that it revolutionized modern stealth games and then of course it you know with the influence later on with such as splinter cell and etc that game i think was it was just phenomenal and and the way that they just the way that they went about it i think it just it just set the new standard for stealth genres and i just loved it of course snake is a notable character and then obviously the the, you know, the notification of like, whoop, like who's there? Like everyone knows that. So that's like actually one of my favorite games of all time. 
That's fantastic. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good one to bring up if you're talking about influence and games taking stuff after that. Because yeah, there is the stealth element that I think helped influence other developers to go, oh shit, this is a thing that's more viable, and we can actually actually double down on this in a, in a greater way, yeah. right? But then there's also just the cinematic aspect of it, which you know when you're talking about cutscenes, when you're talking about cinematography, when you're talking about games taking influence from movies and really nailing it, you're talking about Metal Gear Solid being that first one that really yes. set the tone for games to come after and really go really go for it in terms of you know cinematography really good cutscenes really good story moments like di diving deeper into narrative and all that stuff like Metal Gear Solid was a big big uh, uh point in that and so shout out to that uh and also you mentioned you mentioned NBA Street Volume 2 and you mentioned yeah. Metal Gear Solid and so you're already very much on my good side <laughs> the last guest we had right the last guest we had was doing yeah. the same things they were naming a lot of games that I love and adore then they said th then they disparaged a game called Zelda Breath of the Wild. And so I don't want to, whether you like it or whether you dislike it, I don't I, I don't need to know, Aaron. Okay. All I'm going to say is just don't, don't bring up Breath of the Wild because you're on my good side right now and I don't need more heartbreak in one week. Can we I'm make not, that I'm not. I promise, I okay. promise. I mean, honestly, I mean, I, I feel like, okay, can I, can I be honest about Breath of the Wild? No, no you I can't. Feel, you cannot just, just lie. No, you just cannot. Lie. Just lie? Just, just lie. lie to me. <laughs> no, no. I feel like a lot of people are saying Breath of the Wild because obviously the more open world component and the more advanced graphics and, and just the gameplay is obviously better than previous, uh, you know, iterations in the series. Hmm. But I still think A Link to the Past is still the best. And then, you know, of course, I love Ocarina of Time. And of course, with that game, it has one of the most beautiful intros when it comes to video oh, games yeah. too. It is so like, so I understand why people may say Breath of the Wild, but I, I don't think if I'm looking at all the titles in it, I would not consider that as like my top one, to be honest. That's fair. And that's fair. That's a very fair thing to say, right? You're not out here calling it a seven out of 10 or anything. You're just saying that like, you put Link of the Past above, above Link to the Past above it, which fair point. I appreciate it. All right, we'll shake hands on that. Thank you, Aaron. Aaron, enough <laughs> about all that. Let's talk about today's stories, which includes sales yes. numbers, sales numbers, and more sales numbers, because this is Kind of Funny Games Daily. Each and every weekday at 10 a.m. live right here on twitch.tv slash Kind of Funny Games. We run you through the nerdy news you need to know about. If you're watching live, you can correct us when we get stuff wrong by going to kindoffunny.com slash you're wrong. If you don't want to watch live, you can watch later on youtube.com slash kindoffunnygames, roosterteeth.com, or you can listen later on podcast services around the globe by searching for kind of funny games daily remember you can use epic creator code kind of funny on all epic store and epic in-game purchases like rocket league and fortnite to help support the channel to be a part of the show to patreon.com slash kind of funny games or bronze members or above get to write in and silver members or above get the show ad free with the exclusive daily post show housekeeping for you andy's youtube short about his elden ring preview is up right now on youtube.com slash kind of funny games uh, and then there's also an extended version that will be up on twitter later today that's at kind of funny vids on twitter remember it's review season uh your next episode of the kind of funny games cast will be up uh it, that is our horizon forbidden west review that'll be up monday uh valentine's day on youtube.com slash kind of funny games and on podcast services around the globe and then speaking of review season kind of funny has an all new review scale uh greg made a video he put it up this morning uh, kevin has it up right here kevin go ahead and press play kind of funny is defining how it reviews games movies and everything else under the entertainment sun we've been kicking around a review scale in the games cast and now we've nailed it down starting with horizon forbidden west rolling into the peacemaker finale and then getting applied to everything we review going forward we're going to be using the patented five point kind of funny scale a five is amazing, a four is great, a three is okay, a two is bad, and a one is terrible. 
No, we're not trying to get on Metacritic or get you to scroll to the end of a video to see a number. We just want a unified, shareable shorthand that sums up how we feel about something we just spent an hour and a half talking about. We want to be in Nibel's review roundup tweets and the Reset Era threads so that people know we're reviewing the day's hot topic. These words and numbers are just billboards for the content we're creating. Nothing changes about the show you're watching. You just get to watch us squirm and try to figure out what adjective best sums up our experience. Fun, I, I guess. So there you go. There you have it. A new review scale for you. And I really like this. You know, we've been, of course, kicking it around for a little bit here, right? I think our, our previous one that we were going with, right, was uh, like Game of the Year contender, recommended, uh, don't bother, all that stuff, right? And I think this is the cleaner way for us to do it, where it is simplified. It is one word, right? F five different places. Amazing, great, good, okay, uh, all that stuff. And I think... I think, this, I, I think this is a great review skill, right? I had a really good time talking with Roger and Tim and the team trying to figure out what this looks like. I'm very excited to see this implemented in our future reviews. And so look out for that February 14th, Valentine's Day, starting with Horizon Forbidden West. Thank you to our Patreon producers, Gordon McGuire, James Davis, at James Davis Makes, Pranksy, Manny the Bagel Boy Sanchez, and Blackjack. Today, we're about to keep by ExpressVPN and Chime, but we'll tell you about that later for now. Let's begin with what is and forever will be the Roper Report. Kevin, are you the, Kevin? You like you are you sound like you're in space right now. We cannot hear you doing the doo -doo -doo. There it is. Congress and news. We have seven stories today. A baker's dozen. Bless you. Kevin, know, what once I there? start beeping, I can't stop beeping. Oh, what that's fair. Is, like, I, I, I like playing like with the sound. I was doing. I was cupping my hand over and letting go. The kids could hear it. If, as long as the kids could hear it. Me and Aaron were sitting here in silence, just wondering if you're even. Oh, there. really? Yeah. Come I mean, like that's the noise that was coming. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I guess we yeah. couldn't. We definitely couldn't hear this. Oh yeah, the kids, the kids definitely couldn't hear. Well, it. well, we got we got we got them. there. <laughs> anyway, let's start with story number one. Pokemon has topped the U.S. game sales in January. This is from Tom Ivan at Video Games Chronicle. Pokemon Legends Arceus was January January's number one game in the U.S. based on dollar sales. The game knocked Call of Duty Vanguard off the top spot last month, according to data released on Friday by research firm MPD Group. Following their Steam releases in January, Monster Hunter Rise charted at number three, up from uh, number 94 in December, and God of War ranked number five, up from number 146. Aside from Legends Arceus, the only other new entry to make the top 20 chart was Rainbow Six Extraction at number 9. Last month's number 6 the 20, uh, was the 2020 uh, release Spider-Man Miles Morales. Uh, that now trails only uh, Marvel's Spider-Man and God of War 2018 uh, in lifetime dollar sales for Sony games published since 1995, according to MPD analyst Matt Piscatella. PS5 was the top hardware platform last month in both unit and dollar sales, while Xbox Series X slash S was second on both counts again this is going to be a big i think mpd news day right we're getting a lot of sales numbers uh but pokemon being at number one last month aaron does that surprise you no it doesn't i think pokemon overall it performs well i mean it's one of it's a notable ip and um i mean i haven't really been able to play it but even just from the reviews that i've seen it looks like people are really liking it but i do see that there are people who have issues with the graphics of the game but i feel like it's a it's typical graphics for a pokemon game so i'm not sure why people are really upset about that um but it's interesting i think that like when we are assessing the sales side it's so interesting because it's like how can we accurately assess or discuss sales when some games came out around the time of quarantine and around when COVID started versus now when everyone's able to go out and about do you like do you feel like how we have this conversation is it 
I, I just, I don't know. I just feel like when we were discussing this, it's a little bit harder to discuss because we're in, we were in two different periods of times with some of these titles. Yeah, I think I, I think there's a lot that comes into play in terms of what sales numbers mean now versus what they meant, let's say, at the beginning of 2020, where yeah. when COVID hit, right, that caused a way higher demand for video games that I don't think is gone, right? right? I think there's been, it's maybe plateaued a little bit, but I don't think demand has gone down for video games since like we've come to two years past the start of COVID. Uh, and it's interesting, right? Because you're talking about games like Animal Crossing New Horizons, which came out, uh, uh, spring 2020 right kind of right after that 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 quarantine uh hit and that game sold like that, that game sold like crazy right that is one of the best-selling games on switch i believe that is number two right mm -hmm. after mario kart 8 deluxe uh and that had incredible sales and i think that would have i think that could have happened regardless because animal crossing is a beloved franchise and i think animal crossing new horizons just had the stuff right it being a, a switch game and switch of course having that switch sales bump when you're talking about a nintendo platform that is hitting for everybody that has a very sticky attach rate you know animal crossing was going to kill it regardless but i do think you see that demand for and desire for games arise because of quarantine and that really push things beyond uh pokemon legends Arceus, i kind of put in that same camp of a pokemon game that sits in an interesting place for being a Pokemon game that is different because it is this uh, more open world style Pokemon game has kind of a different art style, kind of uh, uh, puts you into the action a bit more, right? Mm -hmm. Has a lot more TLC in terms of uh, 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 what what it, I'll say what it looks like. Even though I, you, I think the complaints about the graphics are very valid, but what it looks like in terms of it not being traditional Pokemon, where it is this top-down, chibi, cute look uh, to it, right? Pokemon Legends Arceus feels and looks like an open world game. And with that, I think you 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 see a great demand for it from the Pokemon audience who's been wanting something fresh, wanting something different, wanting something you know a bit more engaging engaging from Pokemon. I would say for a long time. Uh, so I think you see that reflect sales. And then yeah, I think also with with uh, the pandemic happening, I think that reflects it as well. Where there are just way more gamers now, right? There's way more people that are that are on the lookout for this kind of thing. You're talking about a platform that had Animal Crossing New Horizons come out a couple years ago. I think with that, right, the same audience that plays things like Animal Crossing New Horizons probably looks at a new Pokemon game and goes, oh, that looks cute. That looks like a good time. Let me pick that up as well. Uh, and you have that stickiness to it, with, which I think really speaks to Pokemon Legends. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, also, like, with Call of Duty Vanguard, I mean, I'm not surprised. That actually game was one of... That game during COVID's quarantine time was very pivotal for not, like, for various different companies within the gaming space and industry, especially when it comes to, like, the broadcasting side of it. Um, it's really interesting, though, because I think that Call of Duty Vanguard, in terms of the campaign, the storylines with it, and even just, like, the overall um, diversification of the characters, I think they've been doing a really great job with that. But I'm also, like, it's... I, multiplayer, I, I'm not really a big fan of Vanguard's multiplayer, and even with like certain things that they've been doing in terms of implementing Krampus, and they've also been doing like extra XP to get more people getting involved. I, I personally don't think Vanguard is really solid. I think that in terms of the sales, I mean, Call of Duty is one of the most notable IPs when it comes to FPSs, and mm -hmm. it actually goes back to I saw you tweet about it when we were people were having a conversation of whether um xbox was going to make it an exclusive just for xbox or they're going to have it be uh that everyone can play it and i saw you tweet about it, i think i said the same thing it's like why would they narrow it down when the user base is so wide with it 
that would be money that they would be potentially losing. I mean, this sales is actually showing the wide user base, despite how gamers feel about the game itself. I feel, well, but then again, I feel like people who are COD players, they're always a bit upset about something with COD, to be honest. Um, but rightfully so in some component. It's, it's one of those interesting games that it's this very interesting mixture between casual or I don't think casual is like the best name to call it, but I'll say for now, casual user base and then the competitive base, um, which obviously Division Blizzard has leaned into heavily in terms of, you know, the Call of Duty League scene and, and then obviously with the the Warzone component. So um, it, I think that like there's just certain titles and, and certain IPs that are just going to sell well, regardless of whether it's oh, yeah. people like it or not. And COD yeah, is one of those. COD is for sure one of those, and it's funny because Vanguard is one that I feel like I've not heard many people talk about Vanguard, and I think that's a mixture of it coming out and feeling like, oh, it's just another Call of Duty, right? And I think Call of Duty Warzone being in the ether and being something that is now always being talked about in a way that a new Call of Duty release just doesn't feel as exciting because we have so much Call of Duty now. And then there's also the Activision Blizzard controversy in terms of the workforce yeah. and like you know how the higher-ups are treating the workforce and Bobby Kotick being shitty and all that stuff, right? But like, no matter what the conversation is around Call of Duty, the thing that stays the same is that Call of Duty will still sell well. Call of Duty on PlayStation was the number one and number two best-selling game last year, right? And that is between Black uh, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War and Call of Duty Vanguard. And yeah, you look at these sales, right? And you look at Call of Duty still selling, right? Uh, 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 last month being high up there. And it's like, of course it is because it's Call of Duty. I think, I'm, if anything, that makes Pokemon more impressive as a game that came out a little bit later in the month and was able to oversee Call of Duty, right? It's Pokemon, so yep. yes, it has that sales power and it has that ip power but you have to you have to be a pokemon to do that to call of duty even a couple months after call of duty comes out um and you look at something like rainbow six extraction right which also came out and charted at number nine uh, uh last month which i think is an interesting place for it you know i don't know if you played rainbow six extraction or if you have any feelings about it yeah i played it so i i played rainbow six extraction and, of and i used to play rainbow six siege a whole lot and you know i think that it, it takes the elements, it takes obviously like the specific elements of the operators, as well as the more tactical approach that Rainbow Six Siege had, um, where, you know, if most there's people who may enjoy like the likes of Call of Duty because you could run and gun, right? But in Rainbow Six, it's not quite. It's the one thing that I kind of don't like is the Milestone XP. It takes a really long time. But the one thing is that there's so many missions that you can do, and there's so many elements that you have to kind of think about. Not only do you have to think about, okay, there's two uh, possible missions that you have to do within each level, right? But also, you have to be mindful of not losing your operators, your health of your operators going down, the ability of it. And when it came to, like, Rainbow Six Siege, that whole mindset of, like, okay, we're having these alien-esque creatures. You, you have to be strategic. There's certain components from the previous game that you have to utilize in this. And it's actually pretty fun. I, it's not a game that I would play with uh, random people. It's because you have to very much communicate. You can't just go off and do your own. But it is a very unique approach. But I don't know if it's enough to encourage more individuals to jump into the Rainbow Six um environment um i don't know and i and i don't know like it has replay value but i don't know how much replay value later on it will have but it's very impressive um i think that it's been interesting to see even just some people who are hardcore rainbow six siege fans like them kind of liking it too um i think there's a little bit of hesitancy because like even when we look at the competitive scene in rainbow six siege is like 
there's been a little bit of a downfall and, and a disconnect between the user base as well as the games. So I think that this is like a nice approach to get like people who may not feel ready in order to play the, the competitive aspect of Rainbow Six Siege, but can still, you know, get involved in it. I think that's what they're trying to do is just increase their, you know, uh, I wouldn't say, I hate saying casual, but I, I don't, is there another word I can use for casual? I feel like we should general. use casual. General gamers, there you go. For general yeah. gamers to get them more into the ecosystem because they're trying to get more, obviously, sales. They're trying to get more people playing. and But that ecosystem also is going to contribute to those potentially moving on over into the competitive scene, which obviously for esports, it's they use that as marketing to sell their games. So yeah. um, I'm yeah. a little bit surprised about that, but I'm happy of God of War, especially with the PC port recent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I want to bring in our next news story because that's even going to grant more context into these PC releases and how these games do. So story number two, Horizon Zero Dawn has sold 20 million copies. This is Tom Ivan at Video Games Chronicle. Horizon Zero Dawn has sold over 20 million copies, publisher Sony Interactive Entertainment has claimed. According to PlayStation Studios boss Herman Holst, the game reached the sales milestone in November 2021 from sales of both the PS4 and PC versions of the game. He also said on Friday that players have spent over 1 billion hours playing the title. Horizon Zero Dawn was released for PS4 in February 2017 before making the jump to PC in August 2020. Former Guerrilla Managing Director Holst previously claimed in February 2019 that the title had reached 10 million sales. Let me say that again. 10 million sales in 2019. The updated sales figure means Horizon Zero Dawn is one of PlayStation's best-selling games ever. God of War, which released for PS4 in April 2018 and last month for PC, had sold 19.5 million copies as of August 2021. According to the platform holder, Spider-Man uh, for PS4 has also reportedly sold over 20 million units. And I mean, like this Horizon Zero Dawn thing, right? It's selling 20 million copies. I think you can attribute that, obviously, to the PC release in terms of that jump, right? Going from 10 million in, 29, in um, uh, 2019, right, up to 20 million till now. I think that is a lot of built-up hype, right, for Horizon Forbidden West, which is about to come out. And then it, th them combining that with a PC release, which is going to cause people to, one, double dip on a game that they owned on PlayStation and maybe want to own again on PC, but then new people who might be planning on getting a PS5 or maybe might be on the line of getting a PS5 that maybe haven't experienced Horizon before, but maybe yeah. maybe are interested in playing the next one. Them seeing the PC release, seeing that as an opportunity to jump in and playing that, and that maybe even leading into them getting a PS5 to play Horizon Forbidden West or getting a PS4 since cross-platform and all that stuff. But yeah, dude, like these PC releases, I think are becoming a big part of the strategy for PlayStation. And so far... Seems like a good strategy. It seems like it's working out. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> and, and this is so interesting because like what we're noticing is a little bit of like a cultural nuance shift, right? Obviously there's always like, I, I joke about this all the time, but the, you know, obviously we, we know about the PlayStation fans versus the Xbox fans, right? But then there's always been like PC, they're like, oh, Supreme, et cetera. But what we're seeing is like, now there are people who are getting access to games that they might've not had the ability to, or they just, you know, they may be PC gamers and they just strictly stayed into PC. And, you know, of course, there's still going to be some elements of exclusivity when it comes to games, because I mean, that that increases value for specific IPs or, or specific companies. But the name of the game now, which I'm sure you guys talked about, is Access. And so now you're going to see some games that are going to be increased in terms of sales. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot more remastered games because now there's a demographic of individuals that be able to play these games that they weren't able to do before. So like, for example, for me, I was always a, a console gamer. Like I couldn't afford 
a PC until later in my 20s. And so there are games on PC that I'm now playing that I wasn't able to. And there's a whole demographic of individuals that are now getting access, whether it's to PC or whether it is they went and got a console. Um, so that ability to be able to play on both is awesome. I have to say, I know, I don't know how people will feel with me saying this, but I actually, me purchasing God of War on PC, it's the first time I played God of War. I, you know, I, there's so many games that I have, I'm trying to get to. Of course, but you can't play everything. Yeah, you can't. You play um, and that's what matters. Well, also, there was a period of time where I was a D1 athlete, and for four years, I couldn't play video games. So I think that kind of contribute to it as well. Wait, um, what, what sport? Soccer. Oh, hell yeah. That's yeah, awesome. yeah. I played soccer at the University of Kentucky. And so, like, I had to literally put all games down and focus on playing and academics because, you know, it's a free education. I got to take of it, course. you know? That's a, a fair point. You should, in that, in that case, I totally understand you not taking time <laughs> to play uh, God of War at the time. Yeah, but it's, it's an awesome experience, though. I think that, like, the more that Xbox, the more that, you know, a lot of these publishers if for PC, a lot more that PlayStation gives access. It's, I, I think it's a good thing. It's a good thing sales-wise. And then even, like, the cultural impact of people playing specific video games is going to increase even more. I mean, we, we saw that earlier, even without PC, like the fact that there are, and I, I know we're gonna talk about this later, but even the fact that there are anime-based um, fighting games that have brought come over to the US and now they're more popularized, like Guilty Gears and so forth. And so we're starting to see kind of more of a universal approach to gaming and people being interested in trying different games because now there's increased access because these companies are like, hey, we're not gonna make it just exclusive. We'll have it open mm -hmm. for, for everyone. Well, that's, that's the thing we've been talking about a lot recently, I think, which is the video games industry is changing a lot, uh, especially mm -hmm. lately, right? When you look at Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard and how that is going to really expand how you think about Xbox first party and what their role is now. When you look at PlayStation or Sony buying Bungie and announcing that, oh yeah, Bungie's still going to publish their games on other platforms. You're still going to see Destiny and probably other Bungie games end up being multi-platform, right? That is a very non-Sony thing to do. But you're talking about an industry that's changing and you're talking about, you know, Bungie putting out a what is going to be probably a multiplayer IP and them wanting the user base, right? Them also wanting to uh, to chart their own destiny, no pun intended, <laughs> chart their own destiny, which I think is a phrase I just made up, right? But like chart their own path of like, hey, yeah, we want to be able to put our games wherever and for, yeah. the big, for, for their bigger publisher to go, all right, fair, you know, uh, go ahead and do it because it is the thing of you're getting the benefit of player base, you're getting the benefit of um, uh, transactions happening on other platforms. You're getting the benefit of proliferating the IP, right? Getting the brand out there and having more people have access to the game, which in the long run, I think is only, yeah. only going to be a good thing. You're talking, you're talking about choices being made uh, to sell the brand in different ways outside of just, hey, we're going to have a game exclusive. I think that has worked for the last however long video games have been around, video game consoles have been around. Having exclusive games has been the strategy. And I think you're seeing more people start to open up their strategy because they're seeing more ways to make money, right? What if as Xbox, we can have our exclusives, but then also put out games on PC and then also put out Ori and Cuphead on Switch. 
and then also like have xbox game pass exist on multiple platforms right yeah there, there are a lot of different ways to make money and that is the way to do it you want to have multiple different uh, uh, uh streams of income so that if one of those falls away if one of those gets cut guess what that doesn't mean that your company falls and fails that means that cool we still get to live off of these other streams of income and likely make more money that way uh and so i think that's what you're saying and i think it's a good thing because that means us as the audience we get way more access to games right like i get even though microsoft bought bethesda uh i if i didn't have my xbox i do have an xbox so i'm probably gonna play starfield on xbox but if i didn't have an xbox <laughs> right i can play starfield on my pc or i can play starfield yeah. via the cloud on my x cloud app on my tv one day when that eventually comes out right there are different options that you're getting as an audience member playing these games and i think that is only a good thing and I mean, we it, it, it like it expands beyond that too. I think that what we're seeing right now, because like you know, I used to I used to work in <clears throat> traditional sports. I used to work in the music industry. What we're starting to see is the the overall viewpoint of entertainment. It's not as siloed as people think anymore, which means that there's more licensing opportunities. So, for example, right, like when we saw Xbox or Microsoft acquire Activision Blizzard. It's not just about the games, right? It's the ability to license these notable IPs for more of the entertainment side, whether it's TV and film, whether it is, and then for those, I remember someone asked or in the chat, they were like, what is OTTs? OTT is over the top. So it's kind of like just streaming platforms. Um, and so a lot of these, now we're seeing a lot of gaming companies and, you know, perfect example is Riot Games diversifying their, their selling point and diversifying their marketing by licensing their IPs into other forms of entertainment, whether it's music, right? Having the ownership of implementing music into these IPs in various different forms and utilizing these characters for music, whether it is licensing for uh, video game adaptations, which have gotten better since the 90s, I have to say, because the films then, whoo, my gosh. Um, but that is also not only a way for them to make money, it's also a way for them to diversify their, um, their business, their money-making opportunities, and potential opportunity to bring people in to encourage them to play the game. I'm sure that there are people who watch The Witcher on uh, Netflix, and then we're like, okay, this is Oh, this is a game? Oh, let me try it out. So we're starting to see this mixing and mingling that ha it hasn't happened before. I mean, I yeah. had a conversation with some people at record labels, and now they're interested in including gaming into 360 deals for artists. That was never a thing. It just more recently became a thing because artists had to depend on gaming during quarantine. So that's also why we're seeing some of these companies pick up all these IPs so that there's a lot more opportunities for licensing beyond just the games themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And I saw like, even on chat, right. There was somebody that brought up like, you know, video game exclusives are still uh, important. And like, yes, the answer is yes there. Right. But like, I think what I'm trying to get at, and I think what we're trying to get at is that like things are expanding. Video game exclusives aren't the only way to do it. Speaking of video game exclusives, that, that's an opportunity for me to bring up story number three. Speaking of sales, Sifu has sold half a million. Uh, Sifu at Sifu Game on Twitter tweeted out, quote, we're humble that more than half a million of you have embarked on our path of vengeance so far. From everyone at Slow Clap, thank you. Hashtag Sifu, Sifu Game, hashtag Sifu, right? And like, that's another example of a game. Sifu came out as an exclusive on PlayStation. I believe it's also on PC, kindoffunny.com slash you're wrong um but that that is an example of where an exclusive comes in right like there are multiple way, diff different ways to do this it is figuring out okay what games do we want to have on our platform or release on our platform temporarily uh, and have them come out maybe a year later on other platforms right but like also 
what if we had the subscription service, right? The, there's mm-hmm. the, the rumored Project Spartacus on the PlayStation side, right? What if we had that as an arm, right? What if we put our, our games on a PC, on PC as an arm? What if we made a Last of Us HBO show, right, as another thing, right? Like, things are changing, things are expanding, and I think that's more so the point uh, that we're getting at. Did you play Sifu, by the way? I actually, I started the other day, um, and I'm going to play it actually today. I actually may play it and stream it. Um, it's it's interesting. It it I know that they they were inspired by obviously older kung fu styles and movies, but it feels a lot more like newer. Feels more like a I don't know, like a John Wick. Like it just feels more yeah. along those lines than a traditional like kung fu style. Um, I haven't gotten farther in it yet. I just started, but uh, it's interesting. I I can see the appeal for sure. Yeah, yeah. Sifu is one that I I, I totally adore, and that is purely for how good the gameplay feel is and how good I think the the systems and mechanics are. And I think you, you're spot on in terms of the John Wickness of it. You know, I think stylistically, it is like gorgeous art, gorgeous visuals, and then like a John Wick style revenge tale that feels fast, feels rapid, and feels nonstop in how the, uh, how the action goes. But then when you play it, it feels like you're playing a, a fighting game almost, right? That's how yeah. good the action mechanics are in the game. Uh, and it's nice to see it sell 500,000, right? I think that's really good for an indie developer, especially them coming off of Absolver, which I don't think hit the levels of popularity that um, that they maybe, maybe wanted from it. I think Sifu being able to, to come out and, you know, seem like a sensation, hit that 500,000, I think that's pretty good for them. And so shout out to Sifu. Absolutely. Aaron, before we get into the next news story, I want to let people out there that uh, know that they can go to patreon.com slash kindoffunnygames where you can get the show ad-free. And speaking of ads, let us tell you about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Look, I get it. You don't watch porn, so maybe you're just paying attention to this ad for, you know, a friend. But with everything going on in the world, governments have increased surveillance. They're using your devices to track your location movements and in a lot of places, your internet activity. ExpressVPN reroutes your internet connection through a secure encrypted server so you can surf the web anonymously. Newsflash incognito mode is a sham. Your ISP can still see every single site you visit. But with one click of a button, ExpressVPN keeps others from seeing all the freaky stuff you've been looking at. Yeah talking about you nick scarpino we've been using expressvpn for a long time it's been keeping me safe keeping me secure i just feel better being out on the internet knowing that expressvpn has my back protect your privacy today and get three months of expressvpn for free visit expressvpn.com slash kind of funny that's e-x-p-r-e-s-s-v-p-n.com slash kind of funny for three months free with a one-year package visit expressvpn.com slash kind of funny to learn more shout out to chime for sponsoring this episode so new year, new you, maybe a you who leaves behind things that don't serve you, like those dang overdraft fees. When your checking account balance is running low, the last thing you need is an overdraft fee. But with Chime, an award-winning app and debit card, you can save that hard-earned cash money without paying overdraft fees. Eligible members can overdraft up to two hundred dollars on debit card purchases and cash withdrawals with absolutely no overdraft fees make your first good decision in 2022 and join over 10 million people using chime sign up only takes two minutes and doesn't affect your credit score you can get started at chime.com slash kf games that's c-h-i-m-e.com slash kf games banking services provided by and debit card issued by the Bancorp bank or stride bank na members fdic eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply overdraft only applies to debit card purchases and cash withdrawals limits start at twenty dollars and may be increased up to 200 by chime see chime.com slash spot me and go to chime.com slash kf games to get started one 
Story number four, uh, we got a King of Fighters 15 roundup. Uh, I, I, right now, as, as, as when I was checking uh, before the show, there was not a Metacritic or an Open Critic, but I do have a couple of reviews for you. I'm going to start with Mitchell Salzman at IGN, who gave it an 8 out of 10, and says, King of Fighters 15 is not the most ambitious or revolutionary fighting game to come out in recent years, but... What few changes have been made to distinguish it from its predecessor are done well. It's a significant step up from King of Fighters 14 in terms of its detailed character models, if not animations. Uh, there are a handful of smart adjustments to its fighting mechanics that give you more options than ever before, and its large roster of 39 characters features a wide variety of different character archetypes to choose from. It's disappointing that SNK still hasn't figured out how to provide value for those who are looking for single-player content in their fighting games or a way to learn to play better using the actual tools provided by training modes, but those shortcomings are easily overlooked in the face of its fantastic netcode and simple but effective online modes. And then Connor McCarr at, video, at uh, VG247 gave it five stars and says, Playing King of Fighters 15, I recall one of my favorite memories, one where I spent multiple hours playing fighting games at an arcade during a trip to Japan. By staying true to that identity as, a, as an arcade fighter and focusing on what it's good at rather than making sweeping changes in the hope of appealing to crowds other than the communities that have risen around these games for decades, SNK has created a game that reminded me of the quality that can be found in a simple, honest fighting game without too many bells and whistles. Uh, King of Fighters 15 is one that I've been playing. Now, this is, this is me talking, right? This is, that was the end of the review. Me talking about it, King of Fighters 15 is one that I've hopped into over the last week and played quite a bit of now. Uh, it is my first King of Fighters game. Uh, people out there know they've listened to me for a while. They know that I like fighting games a lot. And this is one that I wasn't necessarily anticipating as much because, you know, 2D fighters are more difficult for me to get into than 3D fighters. I usually prefer the Tekkens, the Soul Calibers. If I'm playing a 2D fighter, it is like a modern Mortal Kombat game um, or Dragon Ball Fighters. And late, uh, lately, Guilty Gear as well, I've really liked. But, like, traditionally... You know, Marvel versus Capcom has been more difficult for me. Street Fighter is more difficult to me, and that is something that I just accepted as somebody whose brain is broken and can't get into Street Fighter. King of Fighters, I was expecting to be more along the lines of that. And Aaron, I am pleasantly surprised to let you know that I fucking love King of Fighters 15. It is a fantastic yeah. game that I am super into right now. Yeah, I've been playing it a lot with like uh, other reviewers who are playing it in, in this pre-release period, and like yeah. it's been that it's been that um, uh, you know two-hit thing of me playing it and them showing me the the ropes because they're a little bit more familiar with King of Fighters, but then also us getting into this game at the same time and trying to understand how King of Fighters 15 works and the new characters and all this stuff. And it is just a blast to get into, right? Like, I think it's it's more approachable than I would have thought. Uh, it is, if you're unfamiliar with King of Fighters, right? It is SNK. It is the character roster is made from a bunch of different games that um, I think are under the SNK brand, and so you'll ha you'll have Fatal Fury there and a bunch of obscure beat 'em ups and fighting games, right? Characters in there. Uh, of course, if you play Smash, you'll know Terry Bo Terry Bogard from King of Fighters, uh, 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 or Terry Bogard from the King of Fighters franchise. I like. Uh, to throw it out there too, right? It's three v three in terms of characters, so it's like MVC where it is you choose a you choose a roster of three characters on your team. You die, you go on to the next character, and you try to knock out the opponent's three characters before they knock you out. Uh, I've been having a blast with it. I think mainly because the auto combo system is really good. You do just tap square and you get your combos off really easy. The inputs are really easy, like they're what you expect. It is uh, quarter circle forward, quarter circle back moves, right? Like you'll have like the double down uh, uh, moves for teleport, shit like that. The stuff that you come to expect in terms of like a simplified fighting game uh, controller scheme. 
But then, like, the characters are really interesting. You know, I really like them. A lot of diversity in the characters and their movesets. Like, I've been using a character named Luang, who has, like, a long-range moveset, where it is she kicks across the screen, and it's fucking great. Um, <laughs> there's another character, Kukri, who, like, teleports all over the place and has, like, sand powers. He's, like, Sandman, but he has a cool, like, uh, a hoodie that he wears. I love him so much. Uh, and, yeah, like, I've been playing it nonstop and having a great time with it. I don't know if you have any interest in King of Fighters or fighting games in general, but, yeah, like, King of Fighters 15 is awesome. Oh no, I love fighting games. You know, I grew up oh, yeah. in <clears throat> I grew up in like New Jersey, New York City era and fighting games were a staple. I mean, in like it was the most accessible games uh with arcade cabinets at the local bodegas. That's why a lot of the top fighting game players are from New York City. Um but I have to ask mm. you because one, I know you brought up uh, you know, Marvel versus Capcom. I hope that Marvel versus Capcom 2 you still like. It's one of the top fighting games. I appreciate um, but, it. But but <laughs> you appreciate I just, it? I'm bad at it, is the thing. Like Oh, I'm bad at it too. Yeah, Marvel versus Capcom 2 is that game that I played back in the day at uh, uh folks' houses, but like they owned the game and I didn't. And so okay. they'll kick my ass, right? They'll, they'll just pick Ice I remember the comic. It was Iceman, Wolverine. And maybe Iron Man, I think it was was their uh, trio, and they would okay. just blast me like the, the whole ma the whole round. They would just blast me, and I could not find like a good uh, 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 character set to go against that. You know what's interesting? It's it's. I feel like with certain games, you just have to find what you're more comfortable with. Because I do understand, like with Street Fighter, it's very much more dynamic combo system, um, and. I don't know, and I'm wondering if there is kind of like a little bit of a difference in terms of being able to input those combos with the controller versus a hitbox. Um, but, and then you have Tekken, which is a lot more technical, but it's a longer combo string out. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's so interesting. I think that it's like whatever you feel a little more comfortable with. And I think that it makes complete sense why you prefer the likes of a Tekken versus Street Fighter. Like Street Fighter combo system is actually, for me at least, it's hard. Like. It's a lot easier for me when it comes to Mortal Kombat as well as Tekken, but Street Fighter, it's like, it, it's, very it's definitely one, it's very, it is, but it, I also think that it's a little bit, and, and I don't know, but for me, at least it's a little bit easier with that hitbox system versus a controller. But I think that's also because I'm so used to playing it via arcade cabinet than you know, using a controller. But we actually have one of the top Street Fighter players on Xset, um, Idom, he's from New York, and it's just so amazing just to see how he's doing the constant inputs of combos like it, it's like to play fighting games it is truly an art form it is amazing yeah. i yeah and it's such an enjoyable experience i think the, yeah. the thing that i like the most right even it's even outside of the game right it is hanging out in a lobby full of people right the winner stays on and it's us just like kicking it having a good time and like watching people getting their ass beat you know i think there's something <laughs> so unbeatable about uh, about that experience and like I love it so much. I actually have a a, a fight stick coming in that <laughs> Kevin ordered me uh yeah. on oh, really? it's coming today yeah, it's coming today, and I've never owned a, a fight stick before, but Kevin got oh, got it for me welcome. so I can play King of Fighters 15 with it. Yeah, and so, like, yeah, expect a King of Fighters stream soon with me using that fight stick. Probably, I think it's next Thursday, actually. That's where it's at on the schedule currently on twitch.tv slash games, everybody. Um, but, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to check that out because, like, for me, I've always I've always used a controller, and I've been fine with it, but I do have trouble at, at certain points getting in certain inputs, especially with King of Fighters 15. Yeah. I think that is my main I have, a, I have a few issues with the game one being that the single player content is just not like not worthwhile there's a story mm. mode that just seems like it's it, it seems like uh shoehorned in in a way where it's only noticeable because i've played things like mortal kombat and uh tekken 7 and other uh fighting games that have a way better story mode of course mortal kombat tekken have higher budgets to work with and they have like bigger audiences that are going to actually play that shit versus king of fighters which i'm sure king, king of fighters is uh niche enough where it is like 
No, if you're playing King of Fighters, you're just playing for the multiplayer content. You're just playing to, to play online or play with your friends. So they probably just don't put that much thought into it. But like, yeah. there's that. I think the game could train you better in its training modes. And then also, I'm, I'm maybe it's me, and it, it probably is me. Let me be honest. It's me. The me putting in inputs for special moves in King of Fighters 15 is so hit or miss. And I think it demands a certain precision from you that I just don't have right now with my controller. And I'm hoping that the fighting stick might fix that. Um, I think it will. So, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to getting that thing and putting in some rounds with that fighting stick. Uh, You compete? (laughs) I mean, maybe. I've I've always wanted to go to Evo, and I still haven't gone. Uh, And I was hoping to go within the last couple years, but, of course, pandemic hits. uh, Evo got canceled recently, and so, like, you know, it recently got bought by PlayStation, so hopefully we see Evo return soon. Fingers crossed. I want to go. I want to. I want to. I don't. I don't want to compete because I'm gonna get my ass beat. But like, I just want to. Like, I don't know. I want to play. I want to be around fun, fighting games. It was just for fun. fun. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, have fun. That's what's experience. What if you compete and you're in the top 100? Look at that. That'd be exciting. That'd be wild. I've like I've been ignoring my calling this whole time. Uh huh. Well, I mean, I don't know. I I feel like top 100 isn't ignoring your calling as much as like, oh, okay, it was a fun thing that like you get to now brag about. You know what I mean? Top 100 at Evo, I feel like it's pretty, that, that turns into my calling. It's like, cool, I'm quitting kind of funny. I'm doing this all day. I'm in the oh, lab. you're trying to make it real then? <laughs> I'm trying to make at that point, if I'm top 100 at Evo, I'm making it real. I you mean, should do it. Know. Honestly, you should get a pro player to train you and then have that be like a whole experience that you could talk about on the show. And see if you actually will get in top 100. If you do, blessing, I Aaron's swear. Aaron's making a lot of sense. I swear. She's making a lot of sense, my Listen, guy. We do have Come friends. on, do it. I do have homies at Panda Global who I'm sure are willing to, to, to help your boy out, even though they play Smash primarily. And so maybe hey, man, not. Smash is a great game, though. Smash is a great game. It is a great game. But yeah. if you're talking about people being, and we should move on to the next new story, but I'm having fun here. If you're talking about people being sweaty in a fighting game, the people that are good at Smash, they live mm-hmm. and breathe that shit. It's I, I can imagine it's getting good at Smash awful. on that I hate it. Yeah. Because yeah. like you're having fun, and then suddenly they're like, "Wait, did you just shield grab and then toss me? Like, what? What? Yeah. Guys, it's like, what the fuck is a wave dash? Why do you keep bringing up wave dashing? I don't know what the fuck that is. <laughs> and then grappling too. Jeez, man. God damn. It's like, calm down, y'all. You know, you can <laughs> smell it on. Them. <laughs> uh, let's hop into our next news story. Uh... Story number five: Elden Ring producer promises difficult optional bosses hidden through its world. This is Ryan Dinsdale at IGN. From Software says that it's seeking to balance Elden Ring's difficulty, with one particularly frustrating network test among the elements being tuned for the final version. But there will still be some difficult bosses, some of which will reportedly rank among the most difficult the series has ever seen. Speaking with Gamer Braves, Elden Ring producer Yasuhiro Katao covered a variety of topics pertaining to the final release, which is due later this month. Among them, he discussed the difficult balance, saying that the network test showcase boss, uh, Margaret the Fell Omen, was, quote, just too hard, end quote. Nevertheless, Elden Ring will have a myriad of optional bosses to test the skills of top players, which, which, uh, some, some of which will be very difficult. Quote, in terms of bosses that are unessential and optional and hidden, there are some of these that we, we have de- deliberately increased the challenge for, uh, for those players who want to seek out this kind of experience. Hopefully, if you're if you're that way inclined, uh, you can seek out some really tough challenges hidden away in the world. Uh, Katal said, "Aaron, do you have any interest in Elden Ring?" Mm, I mean, I'm I'm maybe I don't know. There's so many games. Like I don't even yeah. know if I have time to even get to it. But I do want to say I think that when we when we're discussing difficulty options, I feel like we have to kind of expand that conversation. Um, shout out to Steve Saylor, Blind Gamer, love him. And like, I, I've been learning so much from friends in the scene who talk about 
um, the experience of those who are disabled gamers and talking about, you know, how we assess uh, accessibility and how we assess difficulties. Like we can't, it, it has to be a little more dynamic conversation. So it's very interesting to see them discuss this, but also, you know, always keeping in mind that difficulty is, is a little more nuanced than what we all, are, you know, we all have kind of grown up thinking about when it comes to like what's easy, what's hard and, and so forth. Yeah. And I, I, that's why I like here where they mentioned that, like, yeah, we did the network test and some of those bosses too difficult. And we're figuring that out. Right. Like, I think that is evident of what you're talking about in terms of the nuance and difficulty and how to get shit right. And then talking about how we're going to have optional bosses that are going to be some of the most difficult bosses that you experience from a from software game that terrifies me. But I also love it for the fact that when I played Sekiro, I beat the game and then uh, I think it was Emron or somebody who told me about the an optional boss. Um, oh, I forget what the chat, you know, it's, it's like a big fire creature thing that Andy Cortez beat. Um, let me know in chat or kindoffunny.com slash you're wrong. But I remember him telling me about that and me going, no, I'm not. I'm not fighting that. <laughs> Demon of hatred. Demon of hatred. Thank you, Charles K uh, Jacobson. He told me about it, and then I went to like discover Demon of hatred. Looked at that thing, and I was like, Nah, I'm out of here. I, I'm anyway. good. I do not have. <laughs> I do not have the energy for this right now. But the fact that it was optional was great, right? And like, that's not to say that the core gameplay or the, the the core journey of Sekiro wasn't difficult because obviously it is right I got my ass beat by the final boss fight of Sekiro for like three hours straight before I was able to to, to, to knock that thing out um but it is a balance of what is core to this game what makes sense for this progression and what can we reward players with with optional stuff and Demon of Hatred I would say made sense as an optional boss because the thing about Demon of Hatred is that that boss functions differently from most other bosses in Sekiro. That thing, like in Sekiro, you're fighting like human-sized bosses. You fight a gorilla at one point, which is fun and wild. Big old gorilla. Um, <laughs> a gorilla. But you also fight like you you don't fight anything else like Demon of Hatred in the core Sekiro campaign. And so like for them to go, all right, this is kind of out there. Let's save this for something optional that the player can discover and becomes that thing of, oh, I want to conquer this mountain. I want to beat that thing. I think that does become um, uh, very satisfying for the player. And to your point too of accessibility, right? Like I, it, it, it's always an interesting conversation talking about like difficulty, accessibility, and how that stuff plays together. Because I think, you know, first for Elden Ring, I'm looking forward to how difficult and, and uh, hard that game's going to be. But that is also a game that I want to have accessibility features, right? And those things yes. don't have to conflict with each other, right? Like mm -hmm. to be able to put on assist features or to be able to have a high contrast mode or to be able to uh, tweak things here and there to make the experience easier for people who may have disabilities or may not have the same ability uh, as other folks to play certain games. It is very nice to have those options in there. And I think, you know, to the point that I would say every game needs to have those options in there. Um, and like that doesn't necessarily need to be a put an easy mode in, in Elden Ring. That could be, that could come in the form of many things, right? I think it, it comes to the form primarily for other games of an assist mode that, you know, allows you to get in there and tweak certain things and like really customize the way you want to play. Um, so that said, you know, I'm looking forward to Elden Ring. I can't wait for it. And I, I, I like what they're talking about here in terms of like the, the optional bosses. Cause I think this time around for it being an open world game, it even makes more sense of me just discovering a thing and going, oh, who the fuck is this guy? And then throwing hands and then probably losing for two hours straight. <laughs> It's the fun of it all. Yeah, it's the, it's the fun. Of, that, that's, that for me is what is going to make Elden Ring fun as an open world game, right? Is There's going to be more discovery. There's going to be more things to just like come across and then conflicts to get into that feels very natural for exploring an open world. So I cannot wait for it. Story number six, Nintendo hacker Gary Bowser has been sentenced to three years in jail. This is a very interesting one because it came in my email uh, yesterday 
and felt almost like it felt Game of Thrones ish. I think Tim was talking about it on like a stream where he was like, "Dude, this, this felt like uh, in Game of Thrones when like one family murders another, and then like they, mm, they send out they a, want a to show letter. everyone. <laughs> yeah, they want to show everybody that they just murdered a person. This is what it felt like seeing this this uh, e- email from Nintendo. For this new story, though, I'm gonna pull from Jordan Midler at Video Games Chronicle, uh, who writes this: Jordan Nintendo Midler. has announced that Gary Bowser, which Wow, that his name is Bowser. Uh, the man accused of creating and selling circumvention devices enabling users to play illegal ROMs on consoles, including Switch and 3DS, has been sentenced to 40 months. Bowser was a member of a hi- <laughs> oh, let me say this again. Bowser was a member of a hacking group called Team Executor, which in 2013 began creating and selling circumvention devices, enabling users to play illegal ROMs on consoles, including Switch and 3DS. According to the US government, the group's criminal enterprise generated tens of millions of dollars in sales and resulted in up to $150 million in losses to victims. In a statement released on February 10th, Nintendo said that it, quote, appreciates the hard work and tireless efforts of federal prosecutors and law enforcement agencies to curb illegal activities on a global scale that cause serious harm to Nintendo and the video game industry, end quote. Bowser was arrested in September 2020 and appeared in court uh, last October, charged with 11 felony accounts. Instead of facing trial, he pled guilty to two counts and offered to pay Nintendo $4.5 million. Nintendo was originally seeking a five-year jail term for the hacker. <laughs> this is unlike any news story that I feel like I've talked about on KFGD. I don't know what to make of this. This seems scary. Uh, Nintendo seems very scary in this news story. And yeah, it's a wild one. Aaron, I don't know if you saw this breaking yesterday, if you have any thoughts on it. Well, I feel like there's a, a Super Mario joke within that. Um, no, I mean, Nintendo has... <laughs> Nintendo, I mean, Nintendo has always been very, very like tight on its, you know, on its systems, its IPs, everything like that. I, honestly, I was so surprised when Nintendo actually wanted to uh, collaborate with Panda Global and support the yeah. fighting game scene. For me, I was like, whoa, Nintendo never wants to do anything with anyone or allow anyone to use its intellectual properties. So it makes sense. I think that like at the end of the day, like that's a lot of money lost. And so rightfully so, you need to go after people who are legally doing these things. Um, But at the same time, I mean, this is wishful thinking. It's probably not going to happen. But I would love for Nintendo to be more open to collaborating Mm. with others to be able to utilize their IP for unique things. I think that maybe they're starting to do that with, you know, that Panda Global relationship kind of being that step. But... I don't know they're still so tight grip on just anything that nintendo has in terms of its ownership so but that's a lot of freaking money lost 150 million 150 Ooh, million I, makes you understand why they went after them right like okay i get it right there you you guys are losing money based on this i think the, i think the thing of 40 months uh being sentenced to that long feels aggressive but i also think it's a, it's a like it's it's them putting out a warning of don't fuck with us. Like I think that is pretty much what this is, right? I think <laughs> yeah. like I don't I don't think it's a thing of them being like anybody who does this is gonna get forty months. I think it is a thing of them being like, hey, you fuck with us, we're gonna fuck back with you, <laughs> and like you know don't fucking pirate our shit. And I think that it. I I think it's also the, it being the fact of it is them pirating shit on Switch and 3DS, which are still active Nintendo platforms, mm-hmm. specifically Switch. Maybe 3DS not as much anymore. But like you know, I Nintendo's such a weird and aggressive company in the way that we recently had the news story of them going after that YouTube channel that has like all of the Nintendo soundtracks and <sighs> them having to take down all that music and then uh, them getting hit with copyright strikes. Right, like. 
that stuff I just think sucks. And I think there has to be some sort of balance here of, hey, if you guys aren't going to put your soundtracks on Spotify or make them easily available available for people because you guys do have classic soundtracks that people want to listen to that should be preserved, then let people put that shit on YouTube, right? Or at least, like, turn a blind eye to it, right? You don't necessarily have to let people pirate the shit out of your platform. I get that. I understand why you go after mm-hmm. people for that. But, yeah, I'm with you that you got to have some some sort of balance and, and you got to work with people to make some things work because there's a reason why people want to pirate the shit or want to want to get roms of their shit right again mean this is me not talking about modern stuff more so talking about legacy yeah. nintendo stuff and it's the fact that you guys don't give us that stuff or do, you guys don't do that in a way that feels um modern and easy right like i like nintendo switch online fine uh there's a lot of improvements that you can make to nintendo switch online but i don't think that is the best solution for giving people access to n64 and nes and, and, and snes switch games right like let people buy that, that stuff piecemeal. Like, put that stuff up on a virtual console. Like, f- find ways to get that stuff accessible to people uh, and don't lock it behind weird, archaic um, services. And so, yeah. This is a, it's a weird news story. Again, I don't know much uh, of what to make of it, but, yeah, don't fuck with Nintendo because uh, they're out here being scary. There you have it. <laughs> Our last news story, story number seven, Microsoft promises to put the right people in the right position to improve Activision Blizzard's culture. Uh, this is once again Ryan Dinsdale at IGN. Microsoft has committed to putting the right people in the right position at the helm of Activision Blizzard amid the ongoing serious allegations around the company's toxic workplace culture. As reported by VGC, Microsoft President Brad Smith told CNBC that his company is looking at the current leadership team at Activision Blizzard and that there will be be change to some aspects should the acquisition deal proceed. He said, quote, We're looking to the leadership team at Activision Blizzard today to make culture and workplace safety a top priority every single day until a day when this deal hopefully closes. And then we'll take over and we need to make that same commitment. There will be some aspects that will change, but it'll all be one new team that will work together. Most importantly, we want to see the culture evolve and we'll see how people perform between now and the day uh, this closes, assuming it's approved. And then we'll have the opportunity to make sure that we have the right people in the right position, end quote. Good statement. You know, I want to see action behind it, right? I want to see this actually come to fruition. I want to see Bobby Kotick get the fuck out of here. Uh, but, you know, it's one to keep an eye on is what I'd say, right? Like, good context to put out there. Yeah, I think that, I mean, to be honest, they can't really say much more, right? Because even... Even with the acquisition, there's still regulatory things that the processes that they have to go through. Um, and then they have to even also be very careful with how they frame what they're going to do with Bobby Kodak because there may be some more intricate um, components in the contract itself. So it's kind of like they're saying it to let people know there will be changes, but they're, they, they're not going to be able to say exactly what those changes are. The workplace culture yeah. needs to change, period. And I also think that even though Activision Blizzard has gotten a lot of attention for the toxic workplace. This is an issue across gaming industry, period. It's, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's surprising. You know, we don't really hear too much conversations about Riot. We don't really too hear too much conversations about Ubisoft because they both still have those issues and, and we're having those issues. Um, but I think that it's good that we're starting to see kind of like the tides are changing where it's no, like, you know, that toxic environment is, it's it's not needed. And I, I do like that... You know, at least with Xbox and Microsoft, they made it very clear that, you know, diversity and inclusion is part of their ethos. So for them to say, hey, we want to create an environment that's comfortable so that various different people from various different backgrounds can be a part of the gaming industry in our products, uh, helping with the products. Like, 
It makes sense. Now, like you're saying, I really, the, the one thing I care about the most is Bobby Kotick and the several other executives because it's top down. The culture starts from the top and goes down and you have to fix the executives. You have to fix the leadership in order for the rest of the culture to change. 100%. Yeah, I think you said it best. And it's a conversation we've been having for a long time in KFG. And I think that we'll continue to have until we see what actually happens with these changes. But yeah, like I, I think it's it's all but a given that I think Bobby Kotick will will be out of here. Or at least like I'm really crossing my fingers that um, that happens. Um, but yeah, we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, and of course, I guess we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a weird one to transition out of because now I got to figure out like what is going to be the thing that I throw out there in terms of XYZ is so far away. I'll do it like this. Bobby Kotick leaving Activision Blizzard might be so far away. If I want to know coming out to Microsoft shops today, where would I look? <laughs> well, the official list of upcoming software across each and every platform listed by the Kind of Funny Games Daily Show hosts each and every weekday. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> out today we got from heaven to earth for pc ammo pigs cocked and loaded for ps ps4 and xbox one scott fold shrouded insanity for ps4 xbox one and switch Oddworld stranger's wrath hd for ps4 and xbox one lost ark for pc spurt roots for xbox one blackberry honey for switch word chef for switch pinball frenzy for switch Pendula Swing, The Complete Journey for Switch, Not Tonight 2 for PC, Nebulous Fleet Com Command for PC, Die After Sunset for PC, and then the latest in GTA Online Short Trips featuring Franklin and Lamar is now available for all players with two times rewards and a new video with music from NEZ and Schoolboy Q. So look out for that. That sounds really cool. Uh, we got one new date for you. Road 96 will be available for PS4, PS5, Xbox One, and Xbox Series X in April. Uh, we do have a required reading for you. Uh, there's an article over on Eurogamer written by Tom Phillips, Phillips that is titled Inside Team 17 Following the Worms NFT Firestorm. I don't have time to read through the article. Uh, it is a long article that I recommend anybody go check out. It dives deep into Team 17, the NFT debacle, which you've talked about on the show, but they also get into workplace stuff and issues that, like Activision Blizzard, right, is uh, uh, filled with problems from the top down uh, and see there seems like there's some shaky leadership uh, stuff going on there and so I highly recommend going to Eurogamer giving the article uh, a read uh, and go ahead and give a click to Tom Phillips over there for doing that great work now it's time for kindoffunny.com slash you're wrong where you write in listen to what we got wrong as we got it wrong so we can correct it for those watching later on YouTube and listening later on podcast services around the globe let's see here let's see here People are writing in with breaking news, and I got to double check this breaking news. Uh, see, Nano, I'll, I'll take this one from Nano. Uh, Nano links to Jeff Gertzman on on Twitter, and uh, hold on, let me let me read through this. Uh, they're it's Activision Blizzard talking about future plans for Call of Duty, uh, and they have here in a blog post, right? Lastly, we also wanted to give a peek into what is on the horizon for 2022 for Call of Duty. The team is excited to is excited to confirm some additional news below. Uh, this year's Call of Duty is a sequel to Modern Warfare 2019. The new game and a new Warzone experience are designed together from the ground up. And they get a little bit into that. And so, yeah, some Call of Duty breaking news happened during the show. So that's exciting. I'm sure we'll cover that on Monday and on next week's shows. And so uh, if you want to look into that, Jeff Gersman on Twitter tweeted out. And you can, of course, probably check out the internet for more articles about that. I'm sure going up <laughs> as we speak. Uh, it's Friday, which means that we're at the end of KGD for the week. Next week's hosts go like this. On Monday, it's me and Tim. 
Tuesday, it's Greg and Gary Witta. Wednesday, it's me and Andy. Thursday, it's Greg and Tim. And then on Friday, it's me and special guest Jordan Ramey. If you're watching this live on Twitch after this, is Mike and the crew playing some Ultimate Chicken Horse. If you want to catch that stream later, you can subscribe to YouTube.com slash Kind of Funny Plays. Before we get out of here, Aaron, thank you so much yeah. for joining me. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. I've, uh, bless me, I've always been a fan of your work. And like I said, I've always wanted to like talk gaming with you on like a show or a platform. So like, finally, we got it. Because we, oh, yeah. we always talk via Twitter or like DMs. And so it's really cool to be able to interact with you in this, uh, this kind of format. Yeah, this has been an awesome show. If you want to check out your work, they want to hear you talk about video game news, the culture, all that good stuff. Where can they find you? You can all find me at Aaron A. Simon, E-R-I-N, the letter A, and then Simon like Simon says. Um, it is that for every single platform, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, uh, Twitch, and so forth. And uh, also, uh, by the way, oh, I have to say this. You guys may, if you guys are football fans and you watch the Super Bowl, keep your eyes open. You may see me in a commercial or two over there. Whoa, making those big, uh, big moves. Hell yeah. Of course, go check out uh, Aaron on Twitter and on her platforms. Uh, and yeah, like you're out there doing dope shit, right? Like you've done Thank work you. with T-Pain. You've done work. You've done an interview with Snoop Dogg where you got uh, secondhand high. And yeah, you're out, you're in there in commercials because yeah, you mentioned these Super Bowl commercials. You've been in commercials in the past too. Like you're yes. all over the place. You're making big moves. <laughs> and so like, it's really cool having you on the show. And again, thank you so much for joining mm -hmm. me. And this is an end of our conversation because we have a post show we're going to get into so remember everybody that this has been kind of funny games daily each and every weekday live right here on twitch.tv slash kind of funny games we run you through the nerdy news you need to know about we have a patreon post show for those that are subbed at the silver level of patreon.com slash kind of funny games so stick around for that otherwise until next time game daily <laughs>